Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. Do you ever wish you were a communications rock star? Like the kind of person who can persuade, inspire, delight, and motivate in any given situation? From client work to customer service to company announcements, maybe even board meetings. Well, my guest today will share how it's not a magic trick or something you have to be born with. You can learn to be a great communicator and feel like you've developed a superpower. Bronwyn Saglambeni is a communication coach, writer, and speaker devoted to helping people shine. Known for her playful, irreverent approach to coaching and life in general, I can attest, Bronwyn teaches serious transformation in how we communicate, inspire, and connect with those around us. She's the host of a great podcast, 20 Minutes with Bronwyn. Bronwyn has prepared clients for television appearances on American Idol, Real Time with Bill Maher, Bloomberg TV, CNBC's Power Lunch, The Oprah Show, The Home Shopping Network, and PBS NewsHour. And in addition, Bronwyn has midwifed over 120 TEDx, TED Global, and TED Talks. On the show today, we discuss the essential ingredients to being a great communicator, how empathy plays a pivotal role in being a superstar or a dud on stage, and how you can have no enemy conversations that get powerful results and create lasting relationships. Bronwyn even reveals her favorite modern day communicators and what you can learn from them. Stay tuned for this gem of an episode. You don't want to miss it. Welcome Bronwyn to the Empathy Edge podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. I'm so happy to be here with you, Maria. Thank you for having me. You are one of my favorite communicators in the whole wide world. I love everything you do. I love everything you talk about. I love your way with words. And I know that you have shepherded, midwifed, counseled, guided so many different kinds of speakers, so many different kinds of presentations, TED Talks, company presentations, funding presentations, all that good stuff. That's right. So yep. tell us in 20 words or less, no, I'm just kidding. What <laughs> makes a great speaker or presentation? What's the it factor for you in someone who can communicate really well, engage people and get them on yeah. board? Yeah. To me, the it factor really stems from two things happening at the same time. Thing one is they are able to be completely themselves, completely at ease in their own skin and authentic because there's a million people talking every damn day of the week, but there's only one you. And so that is one of the pieces of the it factor. The second piece of the it factor is how adept are you at keeping people off their phones? (laughs) or keeping people from checking email. You know what I mean? It's like the real it factor is a two-part thing. 
how authentic are you and how adept are you at dealing with the attention span problem? Right. Right. Like how do you tell a message that is arresting, repeatable, interesting, that makes us lean in because that is the name of the game right now. Love it. So given our show and given my work, I would like to know, and I know you have an opinion about this. What is the role that empathy plays in being a good communicator and a good presenter? It's everything. And in fact, I devoured your book because it was so validating. And I think what happens to us is as we're coming up in business, as we're growing up in our careers, this sort of implicit message when we communicate is what's my message? What am I trying to get out of this? What am I, me, 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 me. And audience empathy means you start with them. Who are these people? What do they need? What are they skeptical about? What are they likely to be surprised by or interested in? And the more that we can start with them in mind, if we meet an audience's needs first, our needs get met for sure. But if we start with our needs only, we create these really boring, flat sort of CYA documents instead of an experience that sort of stirs people or moves people or piques their curiosity. So to me, empathy is absolutely core to what it means to be a good communicator. And it's a muscle you have to develop, just like you talk about. It's not something you and I both have kids. We're moms. We come into this world pretty egocentric. It's just what we are. And so we have to, as humans, as we grow, develop empathy by our parents teaching us. Same is true as a communicator. We have to flex that muscle because our instinct is to make it about us because we're human. Totally. And that's what we know, right? We fall back on that. Like, I know my stuff and my material and... I need to go into this meeting or this presentation with this particular goal in mind. I have Mm -hmm. found that the more you sit back and give yourself that space to say, well, what does the audience care about? Like you said, what are they skeptical Mm -hmm. about? I love starting with that one. Like, what am I going to have to convince them of? Even if it's a happy meeting you're going into, right? Yes. Yes. And the more that you do that, it doesn't derail you. I think people are scared to do it because they think it's going to derail them from the thing they Mm -hmm. need to talk about. But the more that you do that, the more you can figure out how your message plays into that. And you can figure out the way to like pivot the message so it will be received. That's it. But it's that moving away from the need to control a conversation towards a need to connect because the connection is the whole thing. Right. And that willingness to set aside your agenda because your faith in empathy is so strong. Your faith in connection is so strong that you know, if I connect, if I empathize, if I meet their needs, mine will get met tenfold. Mm -hmm. It always pays off. And I find that especially like with public speaking too, and it's only gotten worse with virtual public speaking is we're so defensive. Like we're planning the talk from a defensive position. Like I need them to know how smart I am, or I need to show that I've been very busy or that I'm packing this presentation (laughs) full of stuff. So they just see all that I am Right. versus really thinking about, okay, my meeting, my message is one of 5 million meetings and messages they're exposed to. How do I have mercy on their attention span? You know what I mean? Like, how do I make this easy and interesting and compelling or joyful. And a lot of times, Maria, as you know, that will lead you right to storytelling. Yes. 
I have yet to meet an audience that isn't at least somewhat in need of a story as a vehicle for some kind of message. Well, and we can all think about those meetings or those presentations where it was full of all good information, right? It was chock full of great information. And you walked away just numb because there was no connection. It was almost like the audience didn't need to be there. You ever have those? It was like college lectures where it could be an empty room and the professor still droning on with their slides and whatever. And so versus the ones where maybe there wasn't as much information, you know, the ratio of like usable information was maybe 60% to 100%, Mm -hmm. but you were engaged the whole time. Yes. So you got something and you out actually of it. retained that exactly. 60%. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And I find that especially when I was working with a lot of folks in academia, that shift in thinking because when you for example, if you're working with a professor or somebody in academia that goes into the TED environment, they have to leave their need for thoroughness at the door because on a TED stage, you're not being rewarded for thorough. Mm-hmm. You're being rewarded for, did you articulate an elegant, simple, repeatable, very compelling idea? That is the measuring stick. Whereas in academia, your measuring stick is, did you cover all your bases? Are there any loopholes? Right. Can we poke holes in your theory? It's a total shift. Will this be on you the know? test? Yeah, exactly. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Exactly right. Exactly right. So I want to talk about something you've recently released to the world. Not so recently now, it's been out a while, but this idea of the no enemy conversation. Mm. And I know that you initially presented this in terms of service providers who work with clients, but it applies to just, oh my gosh, everything. If you're going into a negotiation with someone who's a tiger, right? If you're going into- a a difficult work conversation or a difficult strategy session, this idea of us and them in the communication dance. Tell us about what a no enemy conversation is and how, Mm. what are some tips on how to achieve it? What will it do for you? Yeah. The no enemy conversation really came up as a strategy for managing what happens inside of us when we get into conflict, because I am a lifelong avoider of conflict, which is rich because so much of what I do now has to do with helping people get better at conflict. But what I recognized in myself and in others is that when we enter that conversation or when the conversation changes and it goes from smooth sailing to rocky roads the first thing we do instinctively is we make the other person the enemy. And even though it's a metaphor, we're talking about a metaphorical enemy, we know we're not being physically attacked. The brain doesn't delineate. The brain sees enemy as enemy, whether they're holding a Glock or they just gave you a nasty look. The brain totally freaks out. Mm -hmm. And the technical term for the freak out, of course, is fight, flight, or freeze. And the problem, once we allow that sort of cascade of reaction to happen, we've designated the other person as other. They are now the enemy. We now lose access to the part of our brain that empathizes, Mm -hmm. that problem solves, that's creative, that can take multiple perspectives at the same time. It's gone. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to create was a framework that allowed us to step out of that enemy sort of fight dynamic. And I didn't want to choose a phrase that was like the compassion framework, because what does that even mean? Right. So I was like, I'm going to stick with no enemy because that's where we're at. Right. We feel like the enemy. So within that, it's basically just a way, an easy to remember way of staying out of that enemy dynamic 
while also putting in some pretty sweet jujitsu moves communication wise. <laughs> right. Right. Like having just the right phrase or just the right script that diffuses tension, that sort of disarms the ticking bomb across the table. Right. And that that's what that whole system is all about. And it's very simple, but like all really good, simple things, it's hard. It takes practice. It's yet another muscle. It's deceptively exercise. simple for sure. Yeah. What resonated for you in that? I'm so curious. Well, it was just the whole idea, which was so akin to what I talk about with empathy and something I'm constantly yeah. working on as a hot-headed, redhead Italian. I don't have this thing locked down, right? And none of us none do. Of us We're do. all doing our best. But this idea of what was so compelling to me in the research that I did for the book and was reiterated in your talk, which really brought it home for me that it's not just about empathy, it's about communication, is this idea yeah. of grounding yourself first. And yes. this, you know, I start with that as my number one tip in the leadership section, which is practicing presence. And I'm realizing that, oh my gosh, that's applicable to so many things. That's applicable when yeah. my son has a temper tantrum. It's applicable yes. if I'm in a really tense negotiation and somebody's questioning my value. It's that's all it. of these things, right? It's not even just about being clear-headed enough to see empathy. It's being clear-headed enough to figure out your game plan. That's it. You can't give us the whole framework, but give us a little teaser on a great tip yeah. that listeners can take with them today if they're going into some difficult conversations. Absolutely. I mean, the architecture is very simple. It's manage in, manage out, recover, mm -hmm. right? And so what you're talking about is part of the manage in process, yes. which is what is my emotional landscape doing? What's it likely to do if things go sideways? Can I predict some patterns of behavior in the other person that I can prepare for? But I'll tell you what, if there's nothing else anyone ever remembers about managing in, the greatest thing we can do is have a good intention. So if you start, if you know you're going into a tough meeting, the best, quickest way to call forward your best self is to ask yourself, what is my intention? There's something about that question that sort of brings out our better angels, mm -hmm. right? It's not like, what do I want to get or out what's of this my goal? Meeting? Yeah. Or what's my goal? Right. What is my intention? There's just some weird magic in that phrase. Mm -hmm. And so you've got your intention, right? And there's a whole thing that's involved with managing in, but we're going to make it sort of the abbreviated version. But if we can bring forward that, that act of wanting to be of service to someone, of having a good intention driving and maintaining that we bring integrity to the conversation, right? Then when we get into the conversation, we manage out. And to me, the absolute most helpful managing out technique I've ever known in my entire life as a communication coach is to take nothing personally, right? So when they come at you and they question your value and they try and negotiate your rates down, Maria, the tendency, and I say you, but I mean me right. too, my first reaction is to be like, how freaking dare you <laughs> taking this personally? Yes. And then that makes me communicate in a certain mm -hmm. way. I'm going to be more clipped in the way I speak. My warmth is probably going to go right out the window. I'm going to be edgy. Mm -hmm. But if I remember not to take it personally, I can be thinking, oh, this person probably like well, you're Italian. My husband comes from a long line of negotiators. It doesn't matter what price you say, they're going to negotiate mm -hmm, you. Mm -hmm. It's nothing personal, right, right? right? 
So that allows me to sort of relax into it and think, okay, this is, we're doing this. Right. So I'm not taking personally what's my next move, right. right? So managing in means you're calling up your best self. Mm-hmm. You're making sure you're grounded, you're present. You know what you're trying to do, what your intention is. Managing out means seeing that whatever happens in that conversation is just information. It doesn't have to penetrate us and make us question ourselves or angry mm-hmm. or furious or any of those things. Mm-hmm. It's just data. And there are just certain scripts that we can have in our back pocket when things get hot. Like for me, my absolute favorite line, whenever somebody says something that's triggering yeah. is I always validate by saying, huh, fair enough. Say more about that. Yeah. Tell me more. And that's my go-to. Because when we say, say more, it does two things. It buys us time to calm the hell down. Mm-hmm. And it also just gives us better insight into where they're coming from, because sometimes it sounds harsher than it actually exactly. is. Exactly. You have to understand right? their context. And that's, I think that is empathy, whether we call it by that name or not. It's about that genuine curiosity of gathering more information and that's not it. necessarily gathering it to use as ammunition, although you could, yes. but again, that's a very enemy mindset. But this yep. idea of like, let me understand their context so I can understand yep. their intention. Yes, and, that's exactly And right. you get them talking, which calms them down too. That's it. Because they want to be exactly heard, right. right? That's exactly right. And it also shows, especially in a work context, if you can stand there and listen and hold space for whatever the hell it is they're flinging at you, it really shows and signals to everybody on your team, on the call, wherever, that you are not fragile, mm-hmm. that you are capable of holding all kinds of different points of view at the same time. Now, having said that, I was just in a conversation literally last night over text with a friend who has very different political beliefs than I do. Very, very different. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about what happened on January 6th, right? And what happened at the Capitol. And I said, I'm genuinely curious to hear what your understanding of that day was. And when he shared his understanding of that day, it was in such dramatic opposition to what I saw that day. Mm -hmm. And I sort of struggled to meet him. He struggled to meet me. And we really found ourselves at this really uncomfortable impasse. And I said to him, look, I love you to pieces. You've been my friend for 30 years and it will always be that way. But I think we've hit our limit of talking about politics today. And he sent me a cute emoji and I sent him a cute emoji and the relationship was preserved, but I had to pull the ripcord. Right. I couldn't stay in that conversation and maintain my integrity as a no enemy practitioner. <laughs> I was like, eh, I'm out, you know? So there are like, yeah. there are limits to our totally. ability to practice this right. and nobody's perfect, right? And so what are the benefits that you see people get? I mean, you've known some great communicators. You've helped shape some great communicators from previous not being a great communicator. What are some of the benefits you've seen from people that are able to manage themselves, to follow that sort of framework? What have you seen them achieve? It's so funny. The dominant emotion that I see initially is relief. I think people are carrying so much tension all the time because they feel as though they're constantly bracing for either battle or hiding or not speaking up or eating their words. And it causes this incredible emotional stress. I think it's terrible that 
as humans, we're never educated as kids. I mean, maybe our kids' generation are because we're such touchy-feely, like, you know, <laughs> I mean, look at these millennials. They're all about they're their all feelings. About it, yeah. They're all about it. But it's only recently that we've been taught how to deal with the crazy, wild emotional landscape that we all carry around with us. Mm-hmm. And those of us who aren't really great at managing that landscape, mm-hmm. conversations are terrifying, mm-hmm. especially at work, because they get so hot, especially in COVID. Like people are behaving badly because we are all maxed out. We're all raw and nerves. So I think yeah. We're all raw. And so I think the first reaction is the benefit people get is just relief. Mm-hmm. The second benefit they get is this feeling of, oh, I haven't even begun to really uncover what I'm capable of as a communicator. Because now that I've got means of managing all of this interior tumultuousness, Mm -hmm. now I can actually aim my focus at developing my skill. Like I'm going to work on, you mean you're not just born a good storyteller? No, like we can all get good at storytelling. And they're like, oh, Jesus, I wonder what happens if I work on that, you know? And so I think what people tend to do is they get very excited. They're like, oh my God, if this is possible, what else is possible? What else can I try for? And they find themselves climbing this wonderful ladder towards their highest expression as a communicator. And that to me is like, that's the best. Mm -hmm. That's the ladder everybody should be on, right? Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure you work with people that come to you and say, I'm not a good communicator. And just being able to tap into that, it's almost not even just another skill. I mean, the ability to communicate and see results from that, see persuasion or influence or change, that's powerful. That's not just like, I'm really good at math. Like that, (laughs) that is something that can change the course of your career and your life to be able to express yourself and communicate well. And when people say that to me, when they say I can't communicate well, or I am not good under pressure, or I don't speak up or whatever, what they're expressing is a feeling of being mystified by human interactions. They don't understand how the game is played or they do, but they've decided that they can't play it. And once they unlock that, there are patterns to everything there. It's it's like the growth mindset, mm-hmm. right? If you adopt a growth mindset to communication, there's literally no stopping what's possible for mm-hmm. you. And that is, it's enormously exciting to see someone come out of that feeling of like being on the outside, looking into being like, oh, wait, this is a game that has rules that I can learn and play right. by. It's very cool. And it feels magical. Like when you're oh, able right. to overcome that, when you're able to have a communication moment with someone and it goes almost better than you expected. You kind of like look around, like what just happened? What just happened? (laughs) It's like in Harry Potter when there's that teacher who has the sand, the hourglass. And when the conversation gets really good, the hourglass moves very slowly. Like, I love that part of Harry Potter because that's what it feels like. It feels like you hit that moment of flow with another person or with an audience. Right. Yes. It's totally the best. I know there's so many parallels, but obviously, you, you know, you even mentioned this as parents, we're working on this all the time and we're yeah. breaking bad habits we learned as kids and we're trying to yes. establish better habits, you know, regardless of how awesome your upbringing was. And we 100%. we were working with a parent coach for a while with our little one. And it was kind of amazing. Like, oh, I don't always have to kind of like you're saying about being no enemy. It doesn't always have to be win-lose and we can still get that outcome. And he's still learning something like that was the thing I had to let go of was like, not everything has to be a punishable offense. That's right. right? And you can say these things in a certain way and communicate in a certain way. You got to get your stuff together first, 
That's it. But then when your kid actually does the thing and is happy and thriving, you're kind of like, oh my God, I have a superpower. Like, and it feels that way if you're in front of an audience or at a meeting, it feels the same way. Yeah, that's right. Superpower. That is exactly right. And I think the thing that's so hard about it's one thing to sort of lock into these skills and these techniques, because when we're at work or we're in a professional setting, we're sort of in that mode of like, okay, a game Mm -hmm. parenting. We just need to get dinner on the table. And it's so hard. Totally. We worked with a parenting coach too, or I took a course, a love and logic course. And I thank God for these people that teach people like me and you and anybody else how to do it right, because it's not natural. It's not natural. And just the parallels of being able to adapt that to my adult interactions is life-changing. So you're just learning all the time, but I want to talk about as we wrap who in your mind comes up for you when you think about the best modern day communicators and Mm. specifically why? And I know, you know, probably folks listening, we hear the same list of people, but I would love to hear from you as a communications expert, who's catching your eye right now in our modern world? Who should we be paying attention to, to maybe even learn from? God, I have so many. I could spend all day talking about this because mm-hmm. this is like some people talk about sports and exactly. I could talk about this all yeah. day. But to me, you're hard pressed to find a better communicator than Michelle Obama, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. She is regardless of your at, politics. Let's be honest. I mean, regardless yeah. of your politics, mm-hmm. she's exceptional because she has that perfect blend of warmth, directness. She says it exactly like it is. She's super authentic, but her authenticity is multidimensional. So she can move from very formal speech to super relaxed and casual speech and back and forth and back again. Mm -hmm. She's just magnificent. And she understands how to use story uh, so, so effectively. In fact, I like listening to Michelle Obama Mm even more than I like listening to Barack Obama. And I really like listening to Barack Obama, let me tell you what. (laughs) But I thought during the DNC this year, I thought Michelle Obama was just absolutely Mm mind-blowing. Also, I think Brene Brown is exceptional. Mm -hmm. I really, really respond to communicators that are, I have this mantra that warmth allows you to be direct. Mm -hmm. And I love communicators that have that ability to just say the thing, and tell it like it is, but imbued it with so much warmth Mm -hmm. that we can perceive it without being like, well, who the hell does she think she is telling me this? So I think she's exceptional. The other person who I'm just absolutely mesmerized by her is Heather McGee. And I'm going to, we're going to have to look up and see which organization she's with a democratic organization. I can't think of the name of it. She was on C-SPAN one time. And I literally have never been the same after watching this interview. She was on like a morning show on C-SPAN and she was taking live calls. She was the guest. She was there talking about, you know, through a very Democrat lens. But anyway, this caller called in and she's a black woman. And this caller, you know, said, hey, you know, I hear what you're saying and I really want to be a better American. But he said, I don't want to be forced to like anybody and all these black people selling drugs and violence and proceeds to just spew forth these racist tropes right at her while she's live on camera. 
and she has to respond to this man. So he's basically saying, what do I do with all this racism I have? Because you, you guys, quote unquote, you black people are hard to like, basically is what he was saying. (laughs) Oh my God. And she, Heather McGee looked into the camera lens with so much warmth and nodded her head. And she started off by saying, thank you so much for being honest about where you're, what you're dealing with and your own bias. And she validates him so beautifully, creates this gorgeous connection with this man, proceeds to completely deliver this incredible message that deprograms him from his racist tendencies. And they end up carrying on a friendship after that live television moment. To me, that is the skill of this new age we found ourselves in. 2021 and beyond is no longer going to belong to the people that are really good at fencing and jousting conversationally. It's going to go to the people that know how to reach across and create a handshake where there used to be fists. And those are the communicators I am here for. And I hope that there's more. And I'm super, super inspired by Heather McGee. So I'll stop there. I love it. Well, I mean, that's your work, right? You are about creating more people and more communicators that behave that way. And how wonderful a world it would be if that wasn't an exception, but the rule, right? I know. I mean, how much more interesting would meetings be? Oh my God, it would be (laughs) sensational. Sensational. I, I wrote a whole chapter or part of a chapter in the book about how to have more empathetic meetings. And I'm sure like only 2% of meetings are ever run that way. But I spoke to a consultant who had a whole methodology for how you create a more empathetic meeting. And it's just, I wish, I wish it was a guidebook and a requirement for every meeting that you have to have, but... I think we start with your listeners and it just becomes a movement. Exactly. That takes off. Exactly. You know what I mean? Cause it's worth yeah. it. We're all in so many frigging meetings. We might as well make them empathetic. I know. Right. I spoke to a chief marketing officer who said the business of business is meeting. And he meant the business yeah. of business is people, but it is like, that's, right. that's where business gets done is between people meeting and coming up with ideas and solutions and acting on them. And we, that's we right. don't have businesses. We don't have progress unless we can figure out this communication thing. That's exactly right. Right. Well, thank you so much, Bronwyn, for your time today. How can folks get in touch with you? We're going to have some links in the show notes, but quickly for folks listening in their cars, tell us how they can get in touch Uh, with you. Get in touch with me on Instagram at Bronwyn SF, B-R-O-N-W-Y-N-S-F. That is where I'm the most active. I do office hours every Tuesday morning at 10, where we talk about all things communication. I'm super engaged with my Instagram tribe. Also, I send out Monday morning communication tips every Monday for people that subscribe to my newsletter. Mm-hmm. So if you need a little something, something to set your tone for your week and you need a, like a quick communication tip, that's the place to go. So bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe and find me on LinkedIn. Bronwyn, I think it's forward slash Bronwyn, just LinkedIn forward slash love Bronwyn, something you're like just, that. I was the first Beyonce. I love it. <laughs> so great. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. As usual, always awesome to talk to you. And thank you, you everyone for listening. Make sure to tell your friends, tell your colleagues about the Empathy Edge. And don't forget that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Take care and be kind. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. 
For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success. Tremendous success.